We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome in to the Rotowire NFL podcast brought to you by our friends over at Dynasty Owner. I'm your host, John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig. It is Thursday, August 13th. Mario, Madison, a little bit chaotic right now with it with it being move-in day. And as I was driving into oh, to the office, yes, just so everything, you know, with the 2020 lens on it, like it, it just see, feels <sighs> wild as you know, I'll get out. But then it, it did driving through downtown Madison did kind of uh, re- evoke a memory of uh, wh- when you uh, lent lent a hand to me moving like five years ago, <laughs> carrying oh, a dresser like <laughs> across West Johnson. <laughs> yeah, we went. Uh, yeah, it was West Johnson over to uh, West Washington, right? Yes. Yeah, that was that was a long walk. I remember I went back to work after that and I Whoever was nearby my desk must have hated me because I did not take a shower before I went back. <laughs> it was yeah. it was so hot outside too. It was horrible, uh, and it was all to to get me moved in. It was like right when I moved up to Madison, basically, and uh, it was to move me into a studio apartment right above an Indian restaurant, and uh, you know. In order to Clay was also a prisoner there uh, for a while. You guys, you guys smelled like Maharani for a whole year. We sure did. And, you know, to, to chase that fantasy glory dream of, of being in the industry, you need to live in a 300-square-foot shoebox above an Indian restaurant because it builds character. And that, that's my also, origin story. Also, it was like we had, a, we had like a walk of shame carrying that dresser or the mattress or whatever it was uh, just, just down that one single straight street where yep. the traffic was all one way. Like, so everybody who drove past was just like, wow, they're probably going to die carrying that. <laughs> Look at these and, goons. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and it was just like, I was just like completely soaked in sweat and, you know, no one, no one cares when you look as bad as I did. Like, they don't care why you look that bad. They just think like, you scum, <laughs> you foul slob. Probably like, found that mattress shrugging. on the side of the yeah, road. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that. 
that um, it was a very distinct memory that like flashed across my my brain when I was uh, heading down into a uh, into the lab here to to record this morning. Um, but let's uh you know let's shift gears. We got a a pretty loaded show uh, for today's podcast. We're going to get into the George Kittle news. Uh, we and a little bit of the San Francisco offense as a whole. We're going to talk about some Todd Gurley stuff with, with him. Uh, a kind of. Uh, interesting re- report coming out of Falcons camp. So we'll dive into that. We'll talk about this uh, Pittsburgh backfield and a couple other odds and ends to get you through this Thursday episode. So let's start things off. Uh, George Kittle, he is paid. The man is paid. So it, it always kind of felt kind of crazy to me that, that or sort of just uh, to to borrow a Chris Lissism, uh, a fiat currency that Austin Hooper was like the most pay, like highly paid uh, tight end uh, in the league. So it only felt like a matter of time before one of the uh, kind of rising elite tight ends uh, took that mantle. And, and George Kittle uh, was the guy signing a massive extension Thursday morning, $75 million over the course of five seasons. Uh, so any general reactions to, to this news? Yeah, it's a probably good deal for the 49ers. It's a really big contract, obviously, and it has some risk because George Kittle, even though he's a warrior, I mean, he's he's a classic case of a uh, Madden player, a, a, a football player in Madden, the video game, who has like 99 toughness and 65 durability because he's he's always got like a you know three broken bones somewhere or other, but he's he's just like grinning and and bashing his head against the guy and <laughs> in, uh, in front of him anyway like he just doesn't he doesn't he doesn't get functionally affected by these injuries that he's playing with but they are still real injuries and they are kind of probably the result of how or at least a byproduct slightly of how just violent of a football player he is and and it's part of what makes him so uniquely effective and, and the most important player in that entire 49ers offense uh, maybe the whole team because it's he's just as much as he's a tight end, it's like we call him that for a lack of a better word. Like it's not he's not a tight end in the sense that basically any other one is because he's also he's he's yes, this pass catching threat who's super dangerous. Um, he's, he's great after the catch. He can threaten downfield, too. But the way he is is featured as like an in motion blocker and the way he just sledgehammers defenders at these high velocities, it's just it's just not really a tight end application that I can remember seeing. It's like uh, back in the day, the best tight ends ever anyone could think of were just like John Mackey, Kellen Winslow, uh, Tony Gonzalez. And they were all great, of course. But it's like with with Kittle, you get kind of the uh, both the best of those Gonzalez types and the best of the Gronk type impact b- blockers. Mm-hmm. And it really sets up everything about that 49ers offense it's like the, the way that the running game f- functions. So much of it and so much of getting guys like Debo Samuel open on those short routes, those those uh, jet sweeps, whatever it is, so much of that works the way it does because the defense just has to follow Kittle. And when they follow him, it doesn't really like pay off anymore for them. It's like that he gets put into motion and he bashes them and, and creates some opening that they, you know, it's like they, they almost would have been better off letting him go and not putting someone near him to be a, a victim of his blocking. <laughs> and it, it just like bashes open so much and then you still have to cover him too. So uh, that that does take a, a toll on him. And he was injured quite a bit at Iowa too. But I mean, he was playing on like a broken ankle or something last year. And you, from the production and from the tape, you just wouldn't have been able to tell. Yeah, it's yeah, that, that guy is just simply wired different he's he's uh i think you should be i think you should be able to say he is basically the best tight end ever at least in terms of peak play like he doesn't have the super long you know jason witten type 10 1000 yard seasons in a row kind of thing yeah that's the boring compiler versus like you know the electric peak you know right and if you had one game for one like he uh what would it be like the barry sanders of tight ends i don't know it's like some one of those questions where you you know he's not at the top of the leaderboard but you 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 ask yourself well for one game who do i want and you know it's how you some people say randy moss over jerry rice i wouldn't say that one but kittle for me at tight end is is a guy that i would pick for one game even knowing full well all these other great historical tight ends it's like i think he just does more than any of them yeah i, I just took a peek back to to uh reify the the numbers uh from his 2018 game log uh the the uh seven catches for 210 yards and, and a touchdown on on nine targets against the broncos uh yeah that's that's the kind of just 
insanity that 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 Kittle can bring to the table when he's uh, clicking on on all cylinders. So yeah, I think well deserved. Um, I think you also you know bring up the good point that uh, you know th- this might be a candle that burns twice as bright, but tw- you know twice as quickly just because of the the style uh, that that he brings out there. But I, it I think, happened to Gronk, you know. Yeah. It's like that's that's how Gronk was kind of on that best ever sort of. It, you could still make the case that Gronk is the best ever. I'm not trying to marginalize him at all, but we saw it's like even though he was this just unstoppable freak athlete this this 66260 guy running in the the four sixes and it's like no one's ever seen it and you still you take advantage of that blocking ability of his and collisions add up and, and we saw him kind of slow down and get less durable over the course of his career right yeah like you know my my lasting thought of gronk now is is more so like the late stage having to play with like a barry bonds like elbow oh, yeah, protector yeah. and just kind of like moving kind of like the tin man or something yeah, he's like, wearing like the fallout suit yeah or something <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i mean it, it definitely caught up with gronk it no one is completely immune to it uh in the game of football but i think that we can sit back and hopefully enjoy these next five plus years of of peak Kittle or, or close to it um did you want to like add anything now that we we know that that he's going to be the this fixture in the in the Niners offense for not not only this year but but moving forward what's kind of your general outlook uh on this Niners attack well it is the Kittle offense as much as it's also the Shanahan offense it's just impossible to to separate the the offense and and its entire theory of how it functions and separate it from Kittle and and the way th- that he makes it all possible is uh it, it's so rare and it's why the contract is is worth it to pay him up to pay up that much for him uh, I do wish the 49ers would take the depth uh, consideration more seriously because if you're going to make the foundation of your offense George Kittle then you should try to find some people who can do a few things here and there that Kittle can and I don't see that sort of focus from Kyle Shanahan or like I don't I don't think he considers that the same he doesn't consider it an urgent concern the way I do and I think you can see that and how they went and signed Jordan Reed and how they went into last year with Ross Dwelly of all tight ends like this skinny slow doesn't do anything tight end and it's like you should be just trying to collect the same prototype of a tight end the way that the titans have the way that when they figured out like hey this this Michael Pruitt Johnny Smith Anthony Ferkser thing really works for us Shanahan should have had a similar light go on in his head and just he should have just said, you know what, I'm going to go after guys who are, uh, you know, 6'4", 255 or higher and run in the four or five range. And I'm not even going to think too much about what it ex- what exactly it is that they do. I'm just going to take advantage of these traits and just kind of try to drown the defense in them, really, really lean in into the premise of, of getting these these big fast guys who I can just bash the the edge defenders with with coming off the motion over and over because um, yeah I don't I don't think Jordan Reed is going to be that helpful there and I, I don't know if if the 49ers have a prayer in the event that Kittle actually does miss time so I wish they had they had kind of gone after more guys like that and uh, maybe they will in the future maybe they just never really had a good shot to yeah. do it who knows the disrespect of Charlie Warner is making me want to log off right now and just end this. Yeah, podcast. Like, he sucks too. It's just like, just they could have had Caden Smith, and even he doesn't really fit this prototype that I'm talking about. But at least he can play a little. He can do something. Shanahan's actually really bad at evaluating talent. Um, but in any case, he he's he's going to keep making Kittle really successful. I do think the yards after the catch per catch kind of stuff could regress a little bit especially if he plays more games on you know a a beat up ankle here and there stuff like that um but yeah it's 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 amazing how it's it's not the garoppolo offense it's not uh you know it's certainly it's not the backfield that determines this offense it really is kittle and i've never seen a tight end just define a team like that before do do you also feel like if the niners just had uh either more downfield threats or you know circling back to Garoppolo a quarterback who is more willing to push the ball down the field that that things might be different or is this just like the optimization of what the the Niners have on hand well Kittle could do downfield stuff and he does sometimes it's kind of funny I actually was high on him coming out of Iowa I was high on him after I saw him as like a freshman or a sophomore at Iowa because he had this one play I remember seeing the highlights uh, where he caught some long pass where he just ran away from the defense for a touchdown and I can't remember what 
year it was or what team it was against even. But at the time, I just remember thinking like, wow, that receiver is really fast. And then when I looked at the, you know, the roster later, it's like, oh, that's a tight end. And um, he was hurt basically all the time after that. Uh, but if they did have a if they had like an Aaron Rodgers type or, you know, somebody who Mahomes, whatever example someone wants to use as a downfield passer. Like, yeah, Kittle could do that, too. But it's like he's he's the 99 player on Madden. You know, it's like he can do anything at all any scheme could use him and it's it's kind of why this the scheme became him mm. in uh in, in san francisco but yeah he's 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 never going to have his role negotiable like there will never be a scenario where he gets marginalized in the game plan no no nor should there he is he is that uh unique of a talent uh let's move on over uh to atlanta their new running back todd Gurley. you may have heard of him uh, you also may have heard that uh, you know he ha- has a history of uh, knee problems. And uh, according to a report from uh, Von McClure of ESPN, their Falcons beat writer, um, there is a mention that that Gurley uh, was walking around with with a bit of a noticeable uh, limp, but but going through drills just fine. So uh, I'm not a doctor, so I can't really provide any insight into into what that means. But um, this just feels like. You know, time is a flat circle. We've reached August, and we've reached a point where where people are are going a new report to uh, for people to get worked up about when it comes to Todd Gurley's knee. Yeah, this is a tough one for me because I've not been thinking much about Gurley this off season. I I only thought about him long enough to know. I'm probably not going to pick him. Uh, I I know for a fact every single draft that I've been in, I haven't taken him because I guess I'm just taking somebody else. I'm, I'm targeting some other running back or s- some sort of receiver. I guess in some of those places I might have been taking Pat Mahomes or Lamar Jackson, but I, I've not been considering Gurley for whatever reason. And so my process removed him from consideration uh, kind of early on, basically just because I like some other players more. And so I never really thought in depth about how much I don't or do like Todd Gurley. And I see this report come across and I, you know, like the past years, it's bringing up some pretty aggressive doom and gloom. And I'm not really going to push back against it. Like, I've, it seems like I never I know some people think that I'm I'm kind of like antagonistic or confrontational about everything, but it's like I do pick my battles. And so uh, I'm not really going to think I'm not really going to get involved with, with the Todd Gurley one, the latest one. I feel like it's kind of understandable whichever way someone wants to read it, uh, you know, as someone who already was concerned with with where the way things were headed for Gurley. I'm not really going to try to make the case to, to defend him. I'll let someone else try to do it if they want. But I think it's also worth keeping in mind that people have kind of sensationalized some details here and there. And that includes Todd Gurley for what it's worth. I mean, like uh, it was after like week two or three, two years ago where he had a after some game, his knee swelled up on him and he was saying like after this season, after this particular season, two years ago, there were quotes in the offseason from Gurley because he said something like, man, after that game, I was like, I don't even know if I can keep playing. I don't know if my, my career might be over or something. And then he played, you know, the next two years and he, you know, signed with the Falcons. And so Gurley, him showing up with a limp and all that, it might kind of just be him being dramatic. But for me, I didn't really see the need to go in on him just based on things that we already knew before training camp. So him showing up with a limp, uh, granted, it's not the kind of thing that's going to make me eager to buy him. Okay, yeah, that, that's fair. And and I think just in, in general, um, you know, I, I was asked about this on the radio uh, yesterday it was it was like you know like which of that that next tier of running backs you know outside of the the top two rounds do you, are you considering you know like Gurley Melvin Gordon James Connor Leonard Fournette uh, those types of guys and I just kind of feel like in general I'm hard avoiding like all of those guys I, I think that's just a tier that I'm sort of removing and, and uh, I imagine you you'll you'll have a counter when it comes to like James Connor or something but I, I just feel like in general I'm not I'm just not going to listen to ADP when it when it comes to you know me picking somewhere between 28 and, and 35 or something like that like I'm just I'm avoiding those running backs I think that those are landmine type of backs Le'Veon Bell included um, I think they're they're just ones that uh, they're a not going to win you your, your league I don't think that the upside is, is scenario is there in a lot of those cases and I think the downside is 
pretty massive. So yeah. uh, instead of listening to ADP or, or listening to the conventional, like you got to leave, uh, you know, the third round with at least two running backs type of deal. I'll just I'll push up. I'll overpay for a guy like DJ Moore or um, yeah. or AJ Brown or Calvin Ridley, like the, those type of guys. I'll, I'll just start my receiver run a little bit earlier and maybe c- circle back on some running backs a little bit later on, like the the Cam Akers, DeAndre Swift, um, Ronald Jones tier instead. Because it, I mean, at least those guys, you're not you're not sacrificing third round value for someone that that could really kind of work their way out of your lineup uh, by like the end of September. Yeah, in that particular running back range of Gurley, Gordon, and Connor, uh, which in the past three or four days on the NFFC drafts, they're apparent, Gurley's apparently at 27, Gordon 28, Connor 29. I don't have any shares that I recall, actually, of Gordon or Connor, but I have them both well ahead of Gurley. Okay. So uh, I expect Gurley to fall quite a bit after this, and I guess that will be a, a new, more interesting test for my principles because it's it's easy for me to wave him off at this price, but it's like maybe if he gets cheaper, I'll, I'll start to he gets get a little like more David nervous. Johnson territory or something? I guess so, but it's like I'm, I'm trying to – I haven't done a draft in a little bit because I was waiting for the opt-outs to happen. Um, and like looking at this ADP now, it's like I can't even tell who I would have reliably picked in this range because yeah, like man. you – I. Like you, my eyes actually went to Moore and Juju, uh, Calvin Ridley, A.J. Brown, Adam Thielen. So I guess I was thinking receiver in this range whenever I had uh, an applicable pick there. Uh, But also for what it's worth, I would take Chris Carson over all of those guys. uh, Or at least I would take Chris Carson, not all those receivers, but Chris Carson, I would take over the uh, Todd Gurley and James Conner. Maybe I wouldn't take him over Gordon. I can't tell. I guess I I guess I have them on a similar sort of plane. But yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me that Chris Carson is is regarded as more risky than those. Those three prior named running backs or or Leonard Fournette or Le'Veon Bell, who are also going ahead of him in the NFFC ADP lately. I might also take Jonathan Taylor over those guys, uh, which we can talk about that a little bit more uh, with David Johnson. Uh, that's one of those that I'm, I'm kind of anxious about because I can't figure out what I think at all really like i i know i'm i'm worried about him and i i'm not buying him i'm not ending up with any david johnson shares but it's not because i'm so sure that it's going to work out great for me um i can imagine if i was running an offense that i could i think i would know how to use david johnson correctly but it's like i have no faith in bill o'brien doing anything correctly so between between that and his injury history i'm not getting in any david johnson shares but it's 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 a little bit anxiety inducing for me because i've seen some people who who are smart who make pretty decent cases for it and it's like i don't have a great answer other than like i'm scared yeah i just i just tend to gravitate so much to the receivers that are that are going yeah. in, in that range like i think if this if there was like you know an auction uh type of, of setup then then you know maybe i, I consider uh guys like, like david johnson or even todd Gurley um a little bit more but you know, how's this john the, yeah. i would rather have david montgomery who is quite a bit cheaper um, but yeah, he's, he's down at like the 48 50 overall kind of range. And I would definitely rather take him around there than, than, uh, any of those other running backs. So, um, yeah, I guess, I guess I'm going receiver in this range yep. and depending on where my draft slot is, I might also be pursuing like Lamar Mahomes, maybe Mark Andrews, but not the running backs, I suppose. Yeah. That those running backs just, again, they, they feel like total landmines to me, like kind of just legacy cases. Oh, I've heard that I've heard of these guys or these guys have they won me my league three four years ago so uh they must still be good but uh nah man that is uh that's not going to help you win this year um moving on uh you know we we mentioned uh james connor i want to get into this uh pittsburgh backfield a little bit more because it it's deep in a sense that there are like you know several able bodies but i I have a hard time figuring out how this backfield is going to work. And I think that last year's offense is, is such an anomaly, but I, I can't quite figure out what to extrapolate from it and, and apply uh, to this year versus, you know, what to just kind of leave in the past and just leave it with, with Duck Hodges and and, and all that. <laughs> um, but Jalen Samuels off the COVID list. So he's obviously a capable pass catcher there, but behind James Conner, who's clearly a very uh, capable pass catcher in his own right as well and then you have uh, a guy like Benny Snell and you have rookie Anthony McFarland um let's just get get into you know the, these guys and, and how we think that this backfield slash this Pittsburgh offense is, is going to work this year yeah this offense is one that also gives me a good amount of anxiety because I definitely expect a 
emphatic bounce back with with Ben Roethlisberger out there, even if Ben Roethlisberger is some kind of compromised version of himself. But by most accounts, it seems like this elbow thing, knock on wood, should be manageable. Like it shouldn't be nearly as concerning as if it were a pitcher with an elbow. And it, it converse similarly, it shouldn't be as concerning as a shoulder injury to a quarterback. So it, it could have been worse as much as it's sort of a creepy injury to hear about because it ended his season very early last year and uh, multiple torn ligaments in an elbow that, that doesn't sound great. Was he playing with it going into week one or is there I any explanation no idea, for actually. how bad that week one was? Because they got well, totally the Patriots, boat raced by the Patriots. Yeah, the Patriots defense at that time was playing at such a high level that I think it's kind of excusable, especially since it was in Foxborough. But he was also struggling against the, the Seahawks at home before he left. So he could have been hurt the whole time. I have no idea. But he seems like he's fine now and I, you know, I have to, as much as I don't want to give the guy any real credit, I kind of do anyway, like Ben Roethlisberger taking his weight more seriously and seem by all accounts being in better shape that can't hurt. Like he's, he's taking it seriously than he seems to have in the past. So that, that can't hurt. Um, even if it's meaningless, it, it can't hurt him. So, uh, that's, that's good stuff. But the problem is, you don't really find drafts where where everybody agrees on a valuation of these respective players, the skill position players especially. Uh, you, you tend to have a, in every draft uh, multiple people like me who believe that Juju Smith-Schuster is very easily, very obviously still the lead receiver. So you won't really get a good discount on him wherever he goes. Just the same, you're not going to get a discount on Deontay Johnson. He'll usually go in something like the sixth or the seventh round because there will usually be one or two or three Deontay Johnson super believers. And I'm not one of them, but uh, so he never falls where, where I'll be comfortable taking him. James Washington, I guess, is kind of the one I would be most likely to end up with among the receivers just because he's so cheap. And I, I think it's objectively true to say that he is too cheap, at least uh, at least based on the valuations of uh, these other receivers, because James Washington had more yards than Deontay Johnson on 27 fewer snaps last year. It's not because he played less. He had one less game. He missed a game. So on 27 fewer snaps, he had more yards than Deontay Johnson. And you you hear the Deontay Johnson super fans. They quite literally will just say, no, I'm not going to talk about James Washington. Right. He's, he's, he's just a, he doesn't matter. He's not real. He's not real. And it's like he is real. You have to explain how your guy is going to do these things you're talking about unless you're going to posit that James Washington just quite literally is not there because he's there. I've seen him. He's real. And like you try to bring it up to them and they just shake their heads, plug their ears. So James Washington would be the guy, I guess, if I was going to get any of them. And if you if you in best ball, especially if you're taking uh, or in best ball, uh, you, if you get Juju, or Deontay Johnson, it makes a lot of sense to get James Washington later because at 205, 200, 190, whatever he's going at, you might as well just get that stack utility plugged in because he's he's decent. Like I don't know what people are thinking about that receiver rotation generally. It's like we know Deontay Johnson doesn't run downfield. He had a lower depth of target last year than Juju Smith-Schuster, even though he played outside. Now, a low depth of target is typically a slot receiver sort of thing to do. And Juju Smith-Schuster is the slot receiver. That's not negotiable. And when he's running from the slot, he's closer to the quarterback than Deontay Johnson is, even if Deontay Johnson's at a slightly lower depth of target. So James Washington's running downfield. Now, that, that's a totally different function. He was average depth of target was like 14 yards or something. Yeah, it was so really high. You either have to commit to the idea that Deontay Johnson's average depth of target will increase by at least three yards, indicating that he's displaced James Washington's routes from the field entirely, or you can commit to the premise that while running outside, further away from the quarterback, he's going to draw targets at Juju Smith-Schuster's expense when Juju Smith-Schuster has always been better than him, uh, is still younger than him, even though he's already been more productive going back a long way. And you, you just have to believe he's going to displace him. So I think I think like people are objectively getting the math wrong between Deontay Johnson and James Washington. Uh, but yeah, in James Washington's case, I still don't have that many shares of his because I guess I'm uh, I'm going after whatever Steven Sims or something like that. <laughs> now, I mean, yeah, that again, uh, talking about James, James Washington, the, in then in the context of, you know, what the acquisition cost uh, looks like, again, James Washington is, is a guy you can backfill like end of your uh, draft type, type of pick, whereas you have to make a real investment uh, as far as uh, Juju Smith-Schuster or uh, Deontay Johnson. Um, we, we've Johnson's still going ahead of Christian Kirk 
Marvin Jones. I can see taking him ahead of Brandon Cooks just because those concussions definitely are terrifying. But sure. the, there's a there's a popular belief out there that Deontay Johnson is as good or better than those receivers, and he is not. And uh, as long as that false belief is is informing his ADP, the people paying for that ADP price should be very concerned. I think. Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, but moving on, moving over uh, to the to the backfield portion yeah. of this. Um, Connor obviously mentioned in that in that tier of running backs that I personally um, am just not getting shares of in, in drafts. Um, what do you what do you make of him for this year? Because again, trying to figure out what applies from from last year ver, uh, versus uh, the year before and, and how we can apply it to this year. Um, you know, he his yards per carry dropped off by a full half of a yard. Uh, his receiving efficiency was good, you know, catching 34 out of 38 targets. So that, that's oh, yeah. very strong, um, of course. But there there's just like some, you know, injury related under the hood stuff, you know, where he's getting stopped behind the line at, at a kind of an alarming rate, not really picking up much yardage after contact, um, that sort of thing, like, you know, stuff that just kind of disappeared from his game and, and you know, ultimately resulted in him being a fantasy disappointment so um do you think that he can you know re reestablish that 2018 type of form where he's ripping off close to four and a half yards a carry um and kind of just owning this backfield or or do you think like injury concerns plus you know maybe um a, a downtick in I don't, I don't know if it's too early it's probably too early to to write him off of course he's just 25 um but like where are you with him like how how concerned are you about the factors I mentioned versus like what where the upside could be? Well, he's a good player, I think. And I think if he's healthy, he's pretty clearly not uh, comparable to any running back on this team. There, there are certain guys who in one area or another can briefly at least imitate some of the functions Connor can. But Connor's the only one who can do all of it. And he, he can just stay on the field. You never really know what the play call is based on whether Connor is on the field. Like if, if Benny Snell's out there, you can kind of just say, yeah, they're not throwing to him. They might do uh, – they might throw the ball. He might be in there to, to pick up the blitz, but we don't have to cover him. When Connor's out there, you have to be worried about the run or him taking, taking a target and doing a lot of damage with it, which over the past two years, he's been really great as a pass catcher. I don't know – it's one of those things where though his targets – aren't quite the same as they are for some other running backs and specifically someone like Jalen Samuels, you can call a more sort of ambitious kind of route concept for him because he played tight end and some receiver at North Carolina state. So he can actually run routes uh, or at least, uh, you know, he can, he can run routes outside, but even from the backfield, he can run a more uh, just kind of ambitious sort of route than Connor and Connor's catches might be more fair to describe as kind of just like dump off passes because you notice in the Rotowire Rotowire player page for James Conner, if you go back the last two years, both years, his average depth of target is negative. His right. his area well, yardage per line. snap is negative. So he's, it's not like he's running downfield and doing Kamara stuff. He's catching these kind of shovel passes, these dump off passes, these checkdowns, and then he does a lot of damage after the catch every single time. Um, but it's not quite the same as like running a route and and you know get, losing a linebacker downfield. That's more like something Samuels can do. Um, still still though, uh, with with receivers as good as they have, they don't need Connor to run any real routes if he's if he's still as as good as he's been on those dump off passes then that's more than good enough and sure. in the meantime he's, he's a good runner it's it's kind of interesting and kind of concerning it, like a, it's it's uh it's both a good and potentially a bad sign it's ambiguous i guess i should just say that he has such a reliably high rushing average but he has no 40 yard carries in his career he had a lot of 20 yard carries in 2018 He's never supposed to be like a home run hitter or anything, but it's no. just it's kind of it's kind of surprising that when he breaks tackles the way he does and he generates uh, these these chunk plays as reliable as he does, you would think just by like dumb luck he would have uh, somebody would have slipped and let him go the whole way, the whole forty yards or whatever. Uh, and it's never happened, but you know you could look at that and say, well, he's due for some good luck. At least if he keeps running for twenty plus yards at the rate that he has traditionally, some of those are going to turn into forty yarders for no good reason, basically. So um, I'm convinced that he's definitely the best runner. And for the for the way that the running back position functions in this offense, he's also the best pass catcher just because the way it's designed and when they have receivers like they do, it's never going to ask the running back to do Kamara stuff. So the fact that he can't is just not really relevant. Um, So if he's out there, I think he's going to be really good. The defense could be the best in the league. It's definitely top three, top five in the league. So they should have totally run viable game flows. Um, The only concern that I have with Connor is that shoulder of his. 
And once you get a dislocated shoulder, that's just bad. Like that's, that's the kind of thing that's like, it's, it's actually compromised the structure of the shoulder and he invites plenty of contact. He's always been a bruiser. Like when he first got to Pittsburgh, the college of Pittsburgh, he was actually a linebacker. Uh, they just moved him to running back, like in the middle of his freshman year and he went nuts immediately. Um, but yeah, he's always, he's always been a contact heavy runner. So that's not the greatest thing with that shoulder. And, and because of that, I at once, I, I once see a lot of upside with him, but there's enough risk that I would not really pound the table for him. Like I'm not really criticizing anyone for passing on him. Yeah, I think I think that makes sense. Yeah, the the durability concerns uh, I think are the are the biggest concern like relative to to some of the other risk factors with, with him. Like, um, you know that again, this offense is going to just be leaps and bounds better this year, um, just because of the the improvement at quarterback. I think it's it's kind of similar to like the Indianapolis situation where they had just like a non viable quarterback this year, and now they have you know a veteran, but you know. Roethlisberger's always, yeah. always been on the Steelers. He just missed basically all of last season, um, so you kind of you kind of see the comparison there. So I mean, yeah. it, there should just be like a dead cat bounce as far as as that is concerned. But again, there there are some some durability concerns, um, and and then you're you know unless you're getting him in like the fourth round, it's there there's no real discount on, on James Conner, and that that makes it a little bit tougher. Um, so. With him being injury concerned, the, the backups definitely matter. And it's kind of an interesting backfield uh, for, for speculating on the, the potentially injured starter because I think that people are basically getting it wrong. Like we have three candidates here, Benny Snell, Anthony McFarland, and Jalen Samuels. Let's, let's, uh, let's tease yeah. this. We're going to get okay. into those guys in a second. Sorry. But I have several messages from our good friends and sponsors that, we, that uh, the people need to hear. So message first from our friends over at Dynasty Owner. I've been looking for a new challenge, which is why I'm playing Dynasty Owner Fantasy Football this season. Dynasty Owner Fantasy Football unites the fun and excitement of fantasy football with the skill and strategy of front office. Dynasty Owner is the only way to play fantasy football with real NFL salaries, adding the strategy of running an NFL franchise. Dynasty Owner provides a unique challenge for diehard fantasy football fanatics. Go to DynastyOwner.com slash RotoWire. Leagues are forming now. That's DynastyOwner.com slash RotoWire. We've all been in a league where the winner just got lucky. And if you're like me, you know you're better than most. Dynasty Owner gives you the platform to prove it. Dynasty Owner favors skilled players who can manage their roster using real NFL salaries with the salary cap. It adds an entirely new level of strategy. Again, go to dynastyowner.com slash rotowire. Validate your fantasy football skills. That's dynastyowner.com slash rotowire. Dynasty owner, start your dynasty today. We also got a message from our friends over at FanDraft. Take your league's fantasy football draft to the next level with FanDraft, the online fantasy football draft board. FanDraft makes your draft feel like the actual NFL draft with features such as a streaming ticker, live draft clock, custom logos, team walk-up songs, multiple draft board displays, and more. FanDraft can be used offline for in-person drafts by exporting the display via projector or onto a large screen TV for the whole league to enjoy, but it can also be used fully online. And you can add any uh, number of your league owners to join the draft remotely. You can perform both traditional and auction-style drafts. FanDraft also supports all the customizable stuff such as IDPs, rookie-only drafts, keepers, and anything else you can think of to meet your league requirements you can sign up for a free trial at fandraft.com and when you're ready to order the pro account make sure to use promo code rotopod15 to save 15 percent off your purchase again that's fandraft.com use promo code rotopod15 to save 15 percent and then we got one more message here from our friends over at auto new auto new fantasy football lets you build your fantasy football dynasty like a real gm it's better fantasy football Auction-based, deep rosters, and college player prospects stash the next rookie of the year while he is still tearing it up on Saturdays. Uh, R.I.P. to college football. Uh, trade for superstars to make a championship push. Develop a team over multiple years. Play against the best fantasy football competition in the world. Visit autonew.com today. That's O-T-T-O-N-E-U.com today. All right, Mario, I did not mean to uh, rudely cut you off. I just wanted to uh, to set up the tease for, for no, this. That was, uh, someone needs to, you know, just just cut my mic. Get, get the hook. <laughs> just just mute me. <laughs> but 
there are, you know, like you said, there are three candidates to, to break down. They're all very different. And, and Samuels, again, being re-added to the equation here now that he's off the COVID list, you know, it does, you know, add more options, more ways to go about approaching the, the Steelers' backfield if you're inclined to do so. Um, I agree with, with your stance on Benny Snell, where he's kind of the, this one-trick pony, and the trick is not really that great. I mean, we're talking about a guy who who has the, like the Pittsburgh aesthetic of, of being like a, a big, uh, thumping type of running back, you know, weighing well over 220 pounds, um, just, ki- just can kind of run some guys over, you know, coming through the through the hole, that type of thing. But um, he's also someone that, that I don't think is at the NFL level going to average much more than like 4.2 yards per carry um, in a given season. I just don't think that he has the athletic tools under the hood um, in terms of his athletic athleticism to um to really uh carve out a a solid career as like a a starting running back or even like a a, you know a plus uh type of backup to to have back there um in your backfield and then jalen samuels of course like you said the the varied skill set but last year drops were a huge issue for him um getting stuck behind the line of scrimmage when he did get the the carries a 2.7 uh yards per carry average is is obviously disappointing but again um there there were some contextual factors with the steelers offense just shrinking on itself with with you know the combo of of uh Mason Rudolph and, and Duck Hodges, the, the, those goofballs, um, <laughs> you're just kind of, just kind of like making this offense non-viable as a whole. So that certainly didn't help the run game either. I mean, even James Conner's yards per carry got affected. Um, and then uh, Anthony McFarland, of course, a, a bit of the wild card. Um, very, very, you know, explosive during his time at Maryland, but very limited uh, sample, you know, less than 250 career carries uh, during his time at college in College Park. Yeah, I think... I think Benny Snell is actually maybe a, a good value for his cost, though, even though I agree that he's not very good. It's just one of those cases where if James Conner is an escalated injury risk, and I think by all accounts he is, then in the event that he's out, we have to kind of try to guess the way it will look as they try to replace him. And a lot of people want to get their hopes up and think like, oh, this guy's going to be a workhorse. This is this is the guy. He's got the most upside because he's fast. You know, that's some of the people are saying that with Anthony McFarland. Sure. He has the most draft capital because he was a, you know, whatever, fourth round pick who was slightly earlier than Benny Snell was. Something like that. I don't know. Um, but basically, these are three guys who do very different things. Each is kind of like a specialist in their own particular realm. None of them cross over into the other's territory. Uh, Connor's the guy who can do everything. There is no Connor candidate behind Connor. So the question is, is Benny Snell cheap enough at his at his price to, to, to justify acquiring him, even though we don't really think he can be much more than a uh, to be to be fair, he could be a 20 carry kind of guy, but he will not be the four or five reception kind of guy that Connor is like that's going to go, in my opinion, to Samuels in the event that Connor is out. And this is kind of an interesting subject because Ed Bouchette, who I think he was like the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette for a long time and now The Athletic, one of the better, more time-tested beat writers out there, he posted a uh, Pittsburgh roster, final roster prediction prediction that left Jalen Samuels getting cut in favor of Kareth White. Now, Kareth White's kind of interesting because he is fast. Yeah, he was he was a good college player behind Devin Singletary. He's explosive, but... Bouchette's reasoning, I think, was pretty obviously faulty because he was saying, you know, they were featuring Kareth White at the end of the year. I'm just I'm just basing this. You know, he he was clear he was not reporting like inside information like, look, Samuels is toast. They're going with White. That's not what he was saying. What he was saying was, yeah, it could be White. It could be Samuels. I'm just going to go with White because he's faster and because he kind of did some stuff at the end of the year. The stuff that he did at the end of the year was play seven snaps, nine snaps, eight snaps, six seven, four snaps in those six games. And yeah, he got the ball when he was out there. But when you look at that, you can see his function was as an off the bench rushing specialist. And when you're a small speed back, you don't want to be a rushing specialist off the bench. You want to be a pass catching specialist, if anything, because at least that way you can take advantage of the PPR loophole and you kind of you generate more yardage per target than you do per carry. So we don't want a guy with a categorically limited workload and a speed skill set being reduced to a rushing specialist. Which Career is high White... 10, t- 10 catches at, uh, in any given season at, during his Florida Atlantic days. So yeah, not not a te- not a uh, proven pass catcher by any means. 
Right. And Snell is never going to be a pass catcher. He, he could be a good pl- uh, blitz pickup guy, whatever, but that's all he'll ever be. And then McFarland, he could be a, a good pass catcher. Like it's, it's just inconclusive. Sure. And there isn't that extensive history with Samuels, which even last year, even though Samuels, uh, even though he had those drops last year, he still was an above baseline receiving option. Like he, he suffered uniquely from the, uh, from the decline of that passing game. As far as those runnings back running backs go, the, the Duck Hodges, Mason Rudolph situation hurt Samuels the most because he, the prior year, caught 26 of 29 passes for 199 yards and three touchdowns. So one thing that I really don't understand is, is that people like to really quickly go all in on this belief that Ben Roethlisberger is going to just raise this offense uh, back to the 2018 levels. Or sorry, yeah, the 27, yeah, the 2018 levels. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, if Ben Roethlisberger is throwing for 5,000 yards, don't you think that that would uniquely benefit Jalen Samuels among these running backs? Yeah, did Le'Veon uh, Bell have nothing to do with those yarded with those yards back yeah, then? Yeah, <laughs> even last year, Samuels had 47 catches in 14 games. He had 47 catches uh, playing. Sorry, my Skype thing. In 370 snaps, he had uh, 47 catches on 57 targets. So that's a lot of targets. That like if if you're if you're going to just delete those targets in the event that James Conner is hurt. Like you're free to do that, but that's specifically what the Steelers are committing to if they cut Samuels and keep Kareth White. Like McFarland, even if he's some something better than Snell as a pass catcher, he's not going to draw 57 targets on 370 snaps. So I think that it's I think it's pretty clear. Like if Connor's hurt and Samuels isn't on the team, the Steelers are just screwed as far as pass catching as far as passing down running back functions go. And then it's it's not meaningless to point out that Jalen Samuels really can play like tight end receiver stuff too. The Steelers have chosen not to use him there for some reason. But if your tight ends are Eric Ebron and Vance McDonald, it's like those guys are both hurt all the time. Jalen Samuels can give you reps there. He can be your backup slot receiver. And that's, that's just setting aside the 57 targets on 370 snaps. That's a lot of targets on 370 snaps. So um, Kareth White is not a pass catching option. McFarland probably isn't one. And so for me, McFarland is pretty clearly the fade here. Not in not in Dynasty because I I do think McFarland will be good. He kind of has uh, a trait and skill set maybe comparable to like Daryl Henderson or something like that. Is like a a five eight guy just under two ten running in the mid four fours. Uh, knows how to break a big play when he has the ball, but he's he's not in my opinion likely to be a better pure running specialist right off the bat than Snell, especially not for the the kind of aesthetic that the Steelers have. It's like they, they're going to have that Kareth White role perhaps for Anthony McFarland, but I think that will be the only role they have for Anthony McFarland in his rookie year. I think Snell, to his credit, he he does have that sort of anchor ability between the tackles. He can he can t- he can take hits and they just kind of. Uh, you know, they, they don't bounce off of him exactly, but they don't knock him backwards either. Yes. And he, he can take those hits and, and spare someone else from having to take them. And that, that includes, you know, short yardage type stuff. It's like, why would they put McFarland out there for a third and one and, or a, a goal line carry instead of Snell? Yeah, that, so, that, that's Snellville for sure. Um, and, you know, to to like the point about, you know, what happens if they if they're faced with a situation where, where, where Connor's out and, and you know, again, in a hypothetical, if say if a, a pass catching specialist like Samuels isn't on the roster, do you think that it's possible that Pittsburgh just kind of does lean away from like having a a you know major pass catching function from its backfield and just kind of leaning into you know the the talented group of of receivers and, and tight ends that they have and, and more more so just like their running back. It, you know, in this case, it'd be Benny Snell again, someone who who's not going to be the the pass catching type. They just they have him f- for blitz pickup and to run, and like that that's it, that's all. Um, and you know, that's basically w- what his function ends up being. And and you know, one thing that that kind of stood out to me looking at at Snell's um, stats profile fr- from a year ago was that when he was on the field, he got the ball like mo- you know way more often than not. Is sixty four point yeah. uh, nine percent of the time. Uh, he, you know, the the touch per snap rate w- was extremely high, and obviously part of that had to do with a, a smaller sample relative to other running backs only playing 171 offensive snaps. But all this is to say, like, you know, what if Pittsburgh just kind of eschews like the the dump offs really, and just like they they just uh, justify having Snell out there just to to run and to pass block, and and you know, kind of that still ends up being a staple for them again if Connor uh, is to miss time. 
Yeah, that's it's just that that's what they would have to do if mm. Samuels isn't on the team and Connor were to get hurt. And they could totally try to wing it, test their luck, you know, cut Samuels, keep Kareth White, just hope James Connor stays healthy. Maybe he will and maybe it'll work out great. But if he gets hurt, they're going to have to cut White and pick up another running back anyway. So I don't know why they would cut Samuels. And, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm still a Samuels truther, I guess I should say. Like, I, I think the people who, who think he can't play don't really understand him. I, I think they, they're, they're struggling to, to, to put a picture together of, of what he actually is. And they lean on these generalities and kind of like half conceptions of him that don't really add up to anything insightful. I think you have a guy here who is clearly an above average. I mean, it's objectively true that he's an above average athlete. Um, he's like a, you know, big back at six foot, 225, 230 or whatever. He ran the four, five, four, had good agility numbers, good jump numbers. And this is particularly why I think people are often wrong to doubt Samuels. It's true to say there are not, I, I would say there aren't 15 better pass catchers at the running back position. It's objectively safe to say that there are not 20. And when you have a guy who's that uniquely good at something, you don't cut them. Like you just don't, especially if they're on a rookie contract like this. Like it makes so much more sense to just keep him another uh, two years or whatever it is. Let him walk in free agency. Maybe somebody else will give him a five million dollar a year contract, and they can get a fifth round comp pick out of it. If they just cut him, some like the Patriots will pick him up, and they'll he'll catch sixty passes okay. there. Okay. All right. So, so if, I need actually, the Steelers I I, to hang on to Jalen Samuels. For my Samuels shares out there. I guess I just hope they cut him, and I'm, I hope that I'm wrong because because yeah, I mean, he you you cut that guy, he is on the Patriots. He's catching sixty passes. Oh, okay. I just got like a horrible shiver down my spine. I, I can't talk about Jalen Samuels anymore uh, with that with like the thought of him just crushing it on the Patriots. Let's move on. Um, let's uh, let's touch on a couple other odds and ends here as, as we. Uh, as we round things out, we mentioned off air here that that AJ Green is generating some buzz. Would you would you care to extrapolate? Um, it's it's not really uh, anything that I can add on to. It's basically like he's shown up to training camp and he's doing basic training camp things. And I guess if your position all along was. I'm holding off on buying AJ Green until he shows up to training camp, and if if he's able to run and if he's not on crutches, then I'm going to buy in. Like if that was your belief all along, then I guess this is all grounds for you know firing it up and and really really going in on AJ Green. But I, it's not like I had any fear that he would show up to training camp in a wheelchair or something. <laughs> like he, I was assuming, yeah, he's had like a year to deal with this ankle issue. I assume he's been fine for a while now. That wasn't really my concern. My concern is that he could get re-injured like he already has multiple times yeah. for years. He's been he's had injury issues at ages lower than his current one. So I don't know why I would at least if I'm if I'm having to pay a top 70 pick, I'm not really that eager to find out what he's capable of now cuz if you could assure me he'd play 16 games, I'd be like, "Hell yeah, give me AJ Green." I don't know, in the 3rd round, something like that. But if I have to choose between Tyler Boyd and AJ Green, who conveniently yeah they're are, right next uh, to each other now, <laughs> yeah, 69th and 70 on uh, the the NFFC for the past few days, it's like I'm taking Tyler Boyd, especially in PPR. I guess you could say in standard scoring, then that's a little different because don't get me wrong, I, I bet AJ Green can score more touchdowns in eight games than uh, any particular receiver can in, in 16. But in PPR, like Tyler Boyd could just outscore AJ Green anyway. Like mm-hmm. Tyler Boyd's really good. And we don't have injury concerns with him. And the thing about AJ Green is it's it's not one of those deals where he's just had fluky bad luck injuries. Like it's it's been bad luck in the sense that, like, yeah, it, it would have been nice if he hadn't gotten hurt and had been playing this whole time because he's an amazing talent. He's he's an infallible receiver. I think at his peak, he was basically as good as Julio Jones and really not that far behind even Calvin Johnson. But at this point, you know, it's 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 kind of almost like a wide receiver version of Yao Ming or something. It's like <laughs> when you're built that freakish, freakishly like long in the limbs, but you still have this inexplicable gracefulness in your movements, like the ability to to plant, cut, dictate the way you move with such precision. It's like that's 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 something that you're usually not able to do when you're built that way. 
because it's not natural for your limbs to withstand the stress that you're subjecting them to. It's like when you're, when you're built like Yao Ming, you're supposed to be slow and unathletic because that's how your, your joints protect themselves basically. And when you start all of a sudden moving and jumping around, like someone half your size, it's not like your, your joints get twice as strong in in accordance with that. And there's, there's actually a, a a tread that you wear down. So, I think I think it's one of those unfortunate things more like Herman Moore or something like that where he's breaking down for reasons that are kind of Legit. explainable yeah. and predictable. And I would love to be wrong because he's, he's, again, an amazing player. He's one of the best players I've ever seen at any position. And if he plays 16 games, I'm going to regret passing on him. It's just that I know or I have, I have every reason to assume some of these other guys like Boyd, Gallup, uh, whatever – are going to have better durability luck and still are in the same ballpark as far as like their overall production. Yeah, for sure. So it, green has been a, a tough, uh, tough guy to sort out. I know in our uh, Rotowire dynasty uh, that we did a, a startup draft to just, just because all the cool rookies were, were off, were like flying off the board at, at the time. I, I kind of went against the grain and, and you know, got for short term, uh, AJ Green. So we'll we'll see how how that pans out in, in the short term. I, I think that you know he can definitely be you know, and this is, this is more like anecdotal, like maybe fanfic type of stuff. But you know, he he's coming back to a Bengals team. Like the last time that he was on the field for the Bengals, that was a woebegone team that was just you know treading water in the wrong direction it was is bad news uh now they got a guy in joe burrow there's some excitement there they got some other receiving talent outside of aj green obviously with, with tyler boyd continuing to develop um in addition to uh adding t higgins and then you got joe mixon back there i mean it's like a and then jonah williams you know coming back and you know hopefully locking down one of the tackle spots this you know that all of that could lead to aj green playing with a fire that like he you know just not by fault of his own, just like hasn't really had to play with it in recent years because there, there's actually, you know, maybe a glimmer of hope in Cincinnati. And, and you know, he probably also realizes that time is probably running out on, on his peak if it hasn't already. Um, all of that could, could combine to A.J. Green actually turning in a, a very solid year if he's able to stay healthy. Yeah, I mean, for what it's worth, even though I'm not really the type of person to buy him at his current price, which I assume is only going to go higher now, uh, now that people are kind of, uh, I, I don't know what they thought before and I don't know what they think changed now, but whatever it is, it's going to result in them kind of working themselves up. And I, I won't be able to get shares at this point, but up till now, I would say I would take AJ Green over some guys that are going ahead of him, like Stefan Diggs, probably T.Y. Hilton. Oh, yeah, uh, I would. But I would I would pro- and maybe Devonte Parker. Yep. Uh, but I still would take guys like Marquise Brown and and I think Tyler Boyd. Uh, maybe not yeah, Gallup. I'm probably taking too, just because uh, the the interesting one for my in my personal uh, process. The 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 tough question for me is how I explain putting AJ Green behind Will Fuller, who I definitely have taken over AJ Green. Um, when it's like my whole logic for taking Fuller. Is, is based on what he can do on a per game basis. Um, but I, I guess I guess the best excuse that I have for myself is I feel like Fuller's injuries have had more to do with bad luck um, and, and aren't. Uh, and I think if anything, he's due for kind of like a better stroke of luck coming up, whereas I feel like Green is more so descending into kind of like a terminal phase of his career. Yeah, so 31. Um, I could be totally wrong about that, though, and don't get me wrong. Don't 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 misunderstand me. AJ Green, if he's healthy, is way better than Will Fuller, and I, I say that as a huge Will Fuller fan. It's just that AJ Green is uh, definitely in like all twenty years type of talent for sure. Yeah, it's just those guys at 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 very very uh, different stages of their of their respective careers. Um, one last thing that that I wanted to to touch on before we get out of here. Um, some news came out yesterday uh wednesday that i think could be good news for the for the jonathan taylor investors um with with uh coach frank reich kind of implying or maybe he wasn't even implying maybe he was saying straight up um i don't have the quote right in front of me but um you know suggesting so marlon mack is the is starter the he's yeah. earned it etc so thoughts yeah uh well reich said that and i think it's just an entirely meaningless thing just because 
we know they're going to turn this backfield to Taylor. Like, it's not like Frank Reich saying this means we have to suddenly stop and re- reassess, like, oh, is actually Marlon Mack better than Jonathan Taylor? He's not. He never will be. It, 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 the only the only way he might be better than Taylor is in the ball security question. And that, to be fair, is a big question because Taylor fumbled a ton, uh, basically like once every 54 touches at Wisconsin. So with with the number of touches he was getting, that was basically like once a game almost, uh, you know, like the, or once every two games. Um, so the thing the, the thing for me that I focus on, though, is trying to distill the question down to what functions there are in this backfield and for what purposes running backs will be used. And I think a lot of people approach questions like these thinking that if they kind of lean on generalities, that that's the objectively responsible thing to do, like saying, well, yeah, Jonathan Taylor is better at running than Marlon Mack, but Marlon Mack ran for yards before too. So if you think about it, they're kind of the same. Uh, It's not like that to me because the way I see it is, there are carries to hand out in this offense. There's a certain number of carries, and they, they got to be distributed on some basis. You can posit that the basis will be uh, just giving the ball to Mac for for the just for the sake of giving the ball to Mac. But I think that they're going to distribute the carries on the basis of the expected returns, which Frank Reich left that possibility open like he basically declared that the case actually because he said even after marlon mack is the starter he's earned that he said but we're also going to go with the hot hand and yeah, stuff like, like that it would have so, been weird if if he said anything else like at this stage of training camp you know yeah it's not like last year with the raiders and josh jacobs like if they're if, if there were no other running backs on that team and if there weren't an incumbent starter like marlon mack uh, maybe then Reich would have just said, yeah, Jonathan's going to be our starter. But veteran players hate that. Like if you if you have a player like Marlon Mack who is is somewhat established, you know, he's been good enough. Like he's, sure. he's done his part. Uh, the problem is, especially when you take into account how good that offensive line is, he very clearly is not any higher than replacement level. So a lot of players can do what Marlon Mack can do. J- Jonathan Taylor should be able to do far more than what mm-hmm. Marlon Mack can do. And because we have further reason to believe this because Jonathan Williams and Jordan Wilkins the past two years have done more with their carries than Marlon Mack did. So uh, they like they committed to Mack because he was their third round pick and they wanted to turn him into something. But, you know, Jordan Wilkins and Jonathan Williams still did more. So we know what he is by now. It's just he's just an average player. And if average is the best you have, then why not? Yeah, let him let him take the ball. But if you have Jonathan Taylor there, that's a very different question. And if you're leaving open the possibility of the hot hand determining something, we know who will have the hot hand. That's yeah. not that, – that's a predetermined thing. Like Jonathan Taylor will have the hot hand. If you let that be the basis of, of how you allocate these carries, we only have ambiguity about that allocation up until however long it takes for Taylor to have one of his kind of just good stretches, which history says you've got maybe 12 carries, Marlon Mack. You've got maybe 12 carries before Jonathan Taylor has twice as many yards as you. And if that's if, if the hot hand clause triggers at that point, it's just over, at least until Taylor fumbles or something like that, which, to be fair, the, the worst case I can see it go for Taylor is he fumbles in week one or two and then kind of gets put on the bench uh, or, or like, you know, only is kept at like 12 carries. And then maybe they, they up him to 15 and see if he doesn't fumble again and then up him to 18 and see if he doesn't fumble again. And maybe each time he fumbles, maybe they stop and move him back down a rung. I don't know, but I can't see it being any worse than that. And it's also worth keeping in mind that some of these fumbles that Taylor had in the, in, in college were basically because a couple like you, you would have plays with Taylor where he's breaking so many tackles and, and just running around guys for such a comically long time during plays that defenders just stop trying to tackle him and, and instead just starts punching at the ball. And it's like he's got four guys around his ankles and then yep. three more guys come running in. They already missed tackles on him twice this play and they're just like punching at the ball. In the NFL, some of those plays aren't going to happen because the play will be he's over. just going to get tackled after yeah. eight yards instead of being 16 yards downfield with six defenders on his back. Yeah, that, that's definitely a good point. It kind of reminds me of like, uh, I don't know, that, that planet Earth thing where, where like the lizard was running across the desert and like uh, all those snakes were like bound across him, but he still found a way to break out of it. That 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 looks a lot like Jonathan Taylor's college tape in a, in a lot of ways. Um all right. Uh, he's denser. He's faster. He's ran for more yardage all the time at higher volumes, at higher efficiency. 
He's not like Max sucks on passing downs too. It's not even like he has a he has he has no angle on Taylor if Taylor holds the ball. Yeah, so it's 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 a wrap if Taylor doesn't fumble. And the beautiful thing is now looking at uh, NFFC drafts from the last uh, two days, so da- dating back to uh, Tuesday, uh, Taylor Taylor's ADP has settled in. He's he's uh, lower than Carson. He's between Chris Carson and David Johnson now, um, and going as low as, as pick 47 now. So if he's, if he enters that tier or, you know, I'm going like, to make a, dra- yeah, I'm going to get in the drafts again. It's been a while cause I was waiting for the opt outs, but now I'm going to just to get Jonathan Taylor. There we uh, go. A, a share, a share here or there. I think I'm going to do that real quickly. It, it reminds me a lot of Chester Taylor, Adrian Peterson. I can imagine a more skeptical take on Taylor saying, Oh, well, what about Nick Chubb, Carlos Hyde? That is not similar because the Browns were tanking and they rigged that competition to just force Hyde onto the field until someone offered them something, anything in a trade. And when the Jaguars offered that fifth round pick, they took it and then they put Chubb on the field. There is not something similar happening here because the Colts are competing. If if Taylor's giving them more, they're going with Taylor. And the only way Taylor doesn't give them more is if he drops the football. Yep. Bottom line, brother. All right, that's going to wrap things up for this edition of the Thursday Rotowire NFL podcast brought to you by Dynasty Owner. For Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.